You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 146 of the Comic Book Informer podcast. We are coming to you on October 29th. This is Vince along with Roger. What's up today, man? We finally get to discuss this. I've been waiting. This, is, this has been a while you, you haven't been waiting. I've been reading, dude. I've read them all, okay? So cut me some slack. I've been at this for a while now. Right, we're going to come back to that in just a second, but uh, this past week has been huge for any number of trailer-related items. Uh, we got the phenomenal Captain America Winter Soldier trailer last week, which blew me away. Uh, just today, we got the X-Men Days of Future Past trailer, which was a very good trailer. I'm Really? Hopeful. F- it was a good trailer. I really Why? liked the, the voiceover with Patrick Stewart. Why was it a good trailer? It was a bunch of junk, yeah, okay. random the, the junk visuals of the trailer were on the screen just cobbled together. There, there was really no rhyme or reason to any of yes, it. Yes, but with uh, Patrick Stewart's voiceover and you know the story that it looks like they're trying to tell, there's at least elements of a good movie in there. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm really hopeful that the movie's going to be good. I'm very much looking forward to seeing this. It's just the trailer though was like <laughs> it really doesn't tell you what this is going to be. It doesn't. It doesn't do anything except for toss a whole bunch of eye candy on the screen and Wolverine putting every other man to shame in the world. Really, <laughs> seriously, dude. Hugh Jackman, stop working out, okay? <laughs> How old is he, too? He's got to be pushing 50 by now. I have no idea, but God damn It's not it. fair. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but then also today we got our, our teaser trailer for season two of Telltale's Walking oh. Dead game. Which, if you guys don't know, Roger and I are massive fans of that game. Uh, you can find multiple thoughts of ours over uh, on our gaming website, internetdragons.tv, for a small plug there. But we are very eagerly anticipating this one. I think what's more important here is that having finished the first one and then having played that bridge between 400 days, I don't know about you, but the impression I got was that maybe. Clementine wasn't going to be coming back, wasn't going to be making an appearance in season two, and it would just be a story about those people that we met in the 400 days, that bridge between. And I would have been fine with that, and I'm quite certain they're, obviously, they're going to be in there anyways. But man, when you find out that it's going to be Clementine in it, it's... (laughs) It's it's so odd that a game can make people feel, especially like grown ass men and women. But you get that little tingle of delight in your chest, and it's like, yay, she's gonna be in. <laughs> it was awesome. Yes. So as I said, we're clearly huge fans, and if you have not played it yet, I can't recommend it enough. It was almost unanimously uh, our game of the year last year. And uh, if you happen to be interested in playing it on Steam through November 1st, they have the Halloween sale. You can get the whole first season, uh, not including the 400 days add-on, but still get all five of the primary episodes for 75% off. So that's six bucks and change worth every penny and then some. You're a fool if you don't get it is what it breaks down to. Because honestly, the... With the state of, and I know that a lot of people disagree with us on this point because some people are huge fans of The Walking Dead, and so are we. That said, though, with the state of the comic as it is, which in our opinion is crap, with the state of the TV show as it is, which in our opinion it's been crap for 
whatever. This Don't is, try to tell anybody that. Yeah, though. I know, I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. People disagree. <laughs> but this is the shining light that proves that, man, this IP still has legs and still can do amazing things. Mm-hmm. So that said everything we can there. Buy it. Play it. Yes. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> tell us what you doubt, thought. Yeah. All right, so moving on to this week's discussion, uh, several <laughs> weeks ago now, uh, we were talking uh, about you know Mark Wade and his history with DC Comics. Through you know he put up this uh, great article about you know how freelancers interact with their publishers. Really good stuff there. Uh, it's on his web. What is it on Thrillbed, Thrillbent, or on MarkWade.com? I don't remember. Ooh, I don't know. Keep talking. We'll try. Talk. We'll try to find it for you guys and throw it in the show notes. Uh, but you know that led to you know certain unnamed individuals that he was clearly referencing and uh i had linked art uh roger an article i read way back about an interview mark wade gave about you know his time at dc and it was just an excerpt of the interview because the full-length interview mysteriously disappeared right around the same time that web same website started carrying uh, exclusive dc new 52 interviews but that's neither here nor there uh at the, during our discussion i had mentioned that i really did want to cover the DC miniseries 52 on the podcast, but you know, it's 52 freaking issues. It's pretty big chunk of comics to get through for a podcast, but in a stroke of sheer luck, Roger volunteered (laughs) as our longtime listeners know, I often have to coerce Roger into certain projects, but this one, he was like, okay, fine, let's do it. So here we are. Sound like I'm really difficult to work with here. Come on, please. Sometimes you, you can be a, a bit of a whiner. Really now? <laughs> really now? Okay. So it, it, to his credit, Roger even went above and beyond and voluntarily read the Infinite Crisis miniseries, which led into 52, which I had not even considered part of the reading that uh, I had intended for this. But since you dove into that pool and you had some thoughts about it, I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk. Okay, first of all, being that you know more about this than than I do, because I had not, I was not reading at the time that this came out. Well, here, here's the thing. Sorry to interrupt. At the time I had read this, I knew about as much about DC as you do. Okay, like I, I had just started getting back into comics again. I was reading almost exclusively Marvel stuff, and I'd read a couple of like the big DC stuff leading up to this. I read uh, Identity Crisis. Uh, was it uh, the OMAC project? I think it was called. And it was like, uh, it was just kind of keeping tabs on what was going on. So I, I had very little uh, actual knowledge of the current DC universe at the time I read Infinite Crisis. See, I'm wondering if this is something where the editors had a grand plan for what was going to be happening, or if this is just Jeff Johns said, okay, guys, this is what I'm planning, this is what I think we should do, and it was all on him. So it's because... The, the problem I have with um, Infinite Crisis isn't so much the writing issue-to-issue issue kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I don't think it was particularly good, but that's not the main issue I have with it. The main issue I have is with the concept. So if he came up with the concept, sold it, and ran with it, okay, then he's responsible. But if it's the editors that said, here, you're writing about this, go for it. But the concept is, again, it's... A teenager throwing a hissy fit and all the superheroes of the world. It takes all of them and some off world in other (laughs) freaking worlds to deal with one teenager throwing a hissy fit. And to me, 
That's not interesting. It's not good reading. It's not good writing. It's really just not interesting to read at all. Maybe if you're a teenager and prone to hissy fits, you will be able to relate. But as a parent, I can tell you, <laughs> we have our own that we've dealt with. We don't want to have to read about other teenagers throwing hissy fits. It's just it it really did nothing for me. And in fact, it was a chore to get through. That's why I wasn't going to require you to read it. Yeah. So there, yeah. Because again, I thought, well, it's part of the, 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 the canon leading up to it. So I want to be able to tell. And in so much as I did not enjoy it, it really did help me understand a lot more of what was going on in 52 because of the references to everything that's going on in it. But to say that I enjoyed it, not even remotely. Yeah. I, 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 rem- I haven't read it in God, eight years, however long it's been since, since it came out in paperback. And uh, that was the last time I, I even looked at uh, infinite crisis, but especially back then having very little knowledge of the DC universe, like, Honestly, outside of Batman and Green Lantern at the time, because I, I was reading some Batman stuff, and that was right after Jeff Johns did his whole Green Lantern rebirth thing. So I was like, okay, cool. Uh, I'll read the Green Lantern guys. But it was so heavily steeped in the continuity of the DC universe and all the connections between these characters that I had no idea. <laughs> like, yeah, I knew who Power Girl was. I didn't know the depths of her character that, you know, so much of the story was revolving around and, you know, all the, I've read crisis on infinite earths, you know, forever ago, yeah, but it, that was the main thing. It was just having to push through and just try and figure out why half these people were doing what they were doing was my big issue with it. See the, it's funny because we've talked about this in a variety of different um, series that we've read over the years and how if you start playing with the various you know parallel universes or various worlds and things like that you can create something that is really phenomenal and a lot of fun to read i mean look at the fun that we had with dazzler and logan and hercules and stuff bouncing between realities and pony worlds (laughs) (laughs) and i mean it was done exceptionally well really enjoyed that this was not that this was not that at all. And it's almost as if, once again, and, we, and, and I feel this way often when I'm reading John's work, is that he's trying to make it sound a lot more intelligent than what it is. Or he's trying to make himself sound more intelligent. No offense, Jeff, if that's not the case. I'm just saying that's how it reads. It doesn't read like a story that you can enjoy. It reads like a story that you have to force yourself through because the writer is trying to make it seem like so much more, so much more intellectually grand than what the story actually calls for or should have. It's like being back in school and having that reading assignment that you just really didn't want to read, but you had to anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, you can read a massive freaking editorial on To Kill a Mockingbird that will delve into every little aspect of the story and just kind of make it out to be so much more than what it was. And and that's saying a lot because the story is already a lot. Or you can read the book. And appreciate that 
it's it's down to earth and how it's told and everything. And I say that with great appreciation. That's actually my favorite novel. And I remember having been forced to read it in school and the write-ups about it and whatnot, and then reading it as an adult. And so, like, here, again, you have the manner in which he writes and the all of the, uh, not just his writing, but the, the, the concepts that he tries to put forth and whatnot. And it's, you feel like saying sometimes you're trying too hard, really just tell a good story and that'll be good enough. Okay. So setting infinite crisis aside, basically all kinds of stuff went boom. Uh, the DC multiverse exists again, although at the time they didn't weren't quite aware of that. And Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman for various reasons, uh, were temporarily retired. So all of the comics DC was putting out after Infinite Crisis were actually under the banner of One Year Later, where they were picking up all the storylines one year after Infinite Crisis. So you know, Bruce was back as Batman. Uh, Clark was back as Superman. Wonder Woman was a, a whole thing. <laughs> but you had stuff like uh, Bart Allen, you know, grown up now through – shenanigans of the speed force was taking over as the flash there was some interesting stuff happening at dc and this is kind of when i was trying to get more into dc like i really liked the the flash stuff that mark wade was writing but that's beside the point at the same time they were putting out this mini series called 52 which came out weekly for an entire year that which, ain't mini anymore that's a series <laughs> yeah, yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> but regardless that in and of itself that it came out on schedule for 52 straight weeks is an accomplishment well i mean yes and no the the manner in which each issue is split up makes it very easy just for each writer to write uh you know four five six pages and then they use different artists as well so to me it's i I can appreciate the accomplishment of you know doing it and having it done but to say that it was a grand accomplishment it's not like it's one writer and one artist pounding through four issues a month sure but i mean at some points we're happy we can get one issue a month from certain comics yeah yeah, but jim lee wasn't involved here (laughs) and what was cool was that the series was more or less told in real time, where each issue took one week of that missing year between Infinite Crisis and one year later and told us what happened. And I remember reading this, and I was really interested in this for a number of reasons. Like I have said, I was just kind of tip- dipping my toe into what DC had to offer after a virtual lifetime of barely even noticing what they were doing and taking – all of the big players off the board. No Batman, no Superman, no Wonder Woman. Also, we didn't get Green Lantern here. We didn't really get Flash here. You know, A lot of the main characters were not in this series. And 52, for me, really gave me an appreciation for the supporting cast of the DC Universe because that's what we got here. All of the stars of the series were not the stars of the comics, if you will. And it really gave me a more interesting look at what the DC universe had to offer than if I'd just been reading, you know, justice league or the mainstream titles like that. Here's where I'm going to say though, that it was never explained well enough. Why the Batman, Superman, wonder woman, as well as the green lanterns aren't doing anything here. I mean, you got some explanation far later on in the series. However, there was really not enough said right away to explain because, I mean, Clark's there. He's just not doing anything, which, again, leads you to really wonder. I mean, this is no longer about he needs a little break. The world 
the multiverse <laughs> is about to end and he's not doing anything. So here you have, again, my opinion, bad writing. It just doesn't work. Now, Wonder Woman taken off because of the broken neck thing with Ted Lord and whatever and needs to lay low. Again, okay, a little bit more believable, but even at that, hardly, because it doesn't fit the character. And here you have someone who's trying to force a character based on the circumstances that they want to create and not letting the character live within the circumstances. So the Wonder Woman character wouldn't just disappear like that. And then Batman having a freaking nervous breakdown. Come <laughs> on, seriously. Now that is not just being said as a, you know, Batman fanboy, but anybody who reads Batman is a fanboy. So, I mean, it's just, they've, they've built this character to be someone that is so infallible. And yes, there was a lot that happened prior to this. You have, there's a, a whole bunch of little lessons that you get to at the end of each issue kind of thing where they say up until now, this is what happened. And it's kind of, again, a forced little scenario there um, with what's her face. Um, Damn it. What is her name? What's her face is good enough. Yeah. The star girl, (laughs) the girl with all the little stars in her. Donna Uh, Troy. There you go. And so forcing that little history lesson, but you do learn quite a bit about what at that time everyone had just kind of been through and whatnot. But again, to say that Bruce had a nervous freaking breakdown and needed to, you know, chillax and (laughs) no, no, it just doesn't fit at all. And then when you're looking again, very first issue, you do see the green lanterns there. They're there. They're in the crowd with everybody. But then all of a sudden they're not there and they're not doing anything to help. The freaking multiverse is about to collapse and the dudes aren't there doing anything or they're there, but they're not doing much. So again, it's, it's one of those where the, the reasons for all of this are so weak that, and that's the foundation for this. So I don't have a problem with reading about supporting players. I might not necessarily like them all, although some of them came off really freaking well done but i mean at least lay that foundation so that it makes sense and here it just doesn't Mm -hmm. fair enough diving into the story itself uh, it had several different stories that were all interlapping and interweaving with each other most of them were in every issue you know occasionally some would take you know some time off because well just their their part of the story was kind of at a break at that point or they wanted to feature something else but it was not like anything was ever really overlooked it just every every story really had its time to shine and it's not in my ability to break it down chronologically <laughs> so i'm just going to kind of extract each individual story and we'll look at them as they stood on their own uh, i'm going to start off with uh, ralph dibney the former elongated man who is broken down because his wife was killed during uh, identity crisis and it's basically just his journey and his attempt to try and get her back I, it was okay for me like i that particular story didn't really grab me that much See, the thing with that one, again, is that you get to the end of it, and it's a, psych. I knew it all along. And I hate when writers allow themselves to to do that, because it is such a cheat, because there was no indication at 
any time that he knew what was going on. He, he was in there 100%. And then you get to the end and it's, oh, I knew it all along. I am phenomenal detective, don't you know? So I figured it out. Screw you, buddy. <laughs> you just ruin the entirety of that, ent- all of that segment that was with him. Yeah, because I, I do think the actual, you know, grief that he was experiencing, I do think that did come across pretty well in oh, the comic. You know what? The scene when they're trying to uh, bring his wife back to life. Oh, with the straw doll The thing? straw doll. That was, because we talked about this before before we'd been recording this. And, uh, and I was saying that, you know, it took quite a few issues there and I still was not, I wasn't digging it. I wasn't into it. It just really wasn't doing anything for me. And then I read that and I thought, okay, this has potential. Mm-hmm. That is some gripping crap. That is like that was twisted and demented and wonderful all in the same time. <laughs> and it was. It was so well done. And when you're seeing him underneath that bridge with the straw remains, you're like, oh my God. Like that was incredible. But then it's like later on, he's like, it's like, I knew it all along. Bull. Yeah. By, by the time he's traveling around with the helmet of Dr. Fate, it just kind of lost, lost its path. And then like, like you said, the ending just didn't work out. Yeah. I, it, yeah, bothered me, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Animal Man, Adam Strange, and Starfire, who were marooned in deep space after the events of Infinite Crisis. And it was their attempts to get home. And I enjoyed this story to a point when it was just, you know, these three characters that could not be more different, you know, thrown together in the survival situation. I liked a lot of that stuff. But as soon as Lobo showed up, I completely checked out. Well, see, this is the other thing, too, where they are – they kept referencing what had occurred in Infinite Crisis, too, with the freaking hands rebuilding worlds trying to <laughs> put them together into one perfect world, which leads you back to, again, having read that, then thinking all the time, every time they're bringing that up, how utterly ridiculous – a concept it was that these massive intergalactic hands from Luther are trying to build the perfect world, mashing them together. And you're going, oh, come on. So every time they kept bringing that up, I'd roll my eyes. And then again, the, the three of them stuck in space and, and what was going on and the, the space freaking dolphins. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. seriously, space somebody was smoking something. Dolphins. That was, oh, so yeah. So we, when you read crap like that, you can't help but roll your eyes. And so I and I was willing to, you know, roll with Lobo as best I could because again, here's a character that was so designed in that time <laughs> yeah. when they didn't need to worry about things making sense. Let's just make him look cool with a cigar in freaking space riding a motorcycle as we've said many story conventions have been laid to waste for the sake of awesome yeah so so i was willing to let go of some of that and say all right fine whatever but then you have the whole bit with the space dolphins and it's like oh, man so in all honesty the entirety of that segment for the i'd say like with the exception of maybe a couple little points i just was 
had no use for whatsoever. And then yeah. again, when they go at it, when, you know, when the writers themselves are making fun of the characters' costumes, female characters' costumes, <laughs> and essentially calling her a whore, well, you know what? I'm so glad that we are it seeing looks changes. Like a duck. Yeah, we are actually seeing changes now being effectuated where some female characters are being covered up, not to the degree they should be, but still, at least it's not so much fanfare, fan service, I should say. Yeah. All right. Now into the ones that I actually enjoyed. <laughs> I'm going to start off with uh, Steel, and I'll say Steel as a character, like through time has never really done anything for me i just love he has such a great visual presence on the page i'm interested in any story he's in just because i want to see what the artists are doing with him and like that's the that's the core of my interest in the character because the character himself doesn't really offer a lot to me i just love seeing people draw that superman suit of armor with the hammer it's awesome i don't care by virtue of the fact that i didn't enjoy most of the other ones at all to speak of this one was one of the ones that I did. Um, it was a it was a good it was a good Superman Luther story, but instead of Superman, it was Steel. And I mean that character did not offer much other than stereotypes of what a hero should be, kind of thing. And then dealing with the young niece that's headstrong and won't listen to him, yet more cliched crap, kind of thing. But it wasn't terrible. And then the stuff with Luther developing the every man program where everyone can have superpowers. There were moments there that though, once again, cliched and expected were still good. I mean, when he's pressing that button on top of the, the building and all the flyers are tumbling down. That is the greatest pun in the yeah. history of comics. So, I mean, it, it, you were expecting it. You knew it was going to happen, but it was still presented in such a way that when it did, it was striking. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of interesting stuff there of – and, of course, Luthor has had multiple interpretations or multiple writers over the years. But the one that you know always interested me the most was the reason Luthor really hated Superman – on one level, it's because he was upset that an alien had to defend Earth. And, you know, that was always the, the sort of character concept that, you know, I carry for him. But on the inside, it's not so much that it's an alien that's defending Earth. The, the true core of Luthor's character is that it's not him. Yeah. He's so egotistical and egocentric. And that's what you see with him developing this whole program. He did not care one lick about giving everybody superpowers. It was all just an adventure to give himself superpowers and that's what you saw when you know he turned everybody off and caused the reign of the supermen it's hilarious i don't care (laughs) it's because you know he he was basically not eligible for the program and then finding out you know he was and then him getting his powers and still getting beat down it it was a really good luthor story that happened to also have the awesome guy in the suit of armor yeah i i did it, it was almost mandatory to use it that way as well too in order to um worm or wrench the j s a characters into this story mm-hmm. so it was kind of again it was forced but it 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 worked in such a way that you had the the old timers and the new kids kind of thing and so I liked reading about them I like seeing them and their reactions to all of this yeah. All right. Next up, we have The Question and Renee Montoya. Uh, Renee Montoya being the detective from Gotham City Police Department that was actually created in the cartoon. So that's uh, two characters that were created in the cartoon and brought over to the comics. 
And again, I, I liked a lot of elements of this story. The interaction between Question and Montoya, I, I loved their dynamic together. And in their pursuit of intergang, you know, this your generic worldwide crime organization, as we come to find out, it's some sort of cult worshipping the book of crime and all kinds of stupid stuff because, let's be honest, it was pretty stupid. Uh, but the characters themselves and the growth that we saw from Montoya throughout the story, as well as Question dealing with his cancer, that was pretty hard at some points to, for, for anybody who's kind of been through a situation like that. And seeing, you know, the, the, the love, uh, not a romantic love, but the love that uh, Renee had developed for, for him over the course of their story and their journeys together. Also bringing in uh, the new Batwoman, uh, first time she'd shown up in a comic in several decades. I want to say it was like the 60s or, or so since was last time there had been anybody as a Batwoman in the comics. Bringing her in, that was uh, some good character stuff. I, overall, it, it didn't really mesh into one story, but I did like seeing Montoya's journey uh, as her character developed throughout it all. This was actually, I found, one of the better stories throughout. Mm-hmm. Not because of the concepts behind it, but just because of the way that it was handled and the characters throughout. And and again, you got to remember how much of their story blended in with Black Adam's story as well. Right. And the manner in which that was done, though, kind of... They, they kind of stretched it there. Like, really, would they travel there to go investigate this? Odds are against it, but it's you're willing to let it go and work with it. But mm-hmm. the blending of those two stories, I thought, was actually really well done. And by that time, ISIS is there. So you have that shield to protect them against Black Adam kind of thing. And he's, by that time, changed as well. And then everything they do to save the ceremony when they're getting married there was a lot of stuff there that really made it a story where you could appreciate just how much these two characters had been through and then when you slapped in the bad woman stuff you had a very mature gay story being told and it wasn't and i mean there's other little titillating scenes with her in bed with other people sure but but you would the get story. that in any other story as well. Exactly. So. so, but the manner in which it was handled was extremely mature, and it's just that's just what it is. And then when you're seeing her again with who winds up being Batwoman and things like that, there was I really liked all of the relationships and how they were handled in this, in this story, and that's what really pushed it forward for me. Yeah, like I said, the, the larger story with Intergang didn't really interest me, but the characters, all Definitely. of them, were, were handled so well that I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I agree. And actually, my favorite, as, as, tying in, like you said, with uh, their story, my favorite of all of the larger storylines was the Black Adam story. I'm, I've always been a sucker for you know the redemption of the villain, that type of story. It's just always something that you know, has interested me. So we have asshole. Black Adam one of the biggest like most evil guys in you know the DC universe has his nation of Kandak Kandak whatever it's called the country with the k not Iraqistan and he's taken over as supreme ruler of this country is declared you know his borders locked down and executing criminals <laughs> Not exactly in the streets, over the streets, raining their entrails down upon the crowds below. And he's basically locked down this nation with an iron fist and is getting other countries to join in in his 
in his way of thinking until this character is introduced and I am completely blanking on what her real name is. Uh, this uh, basically slave that's offered to him and that's not Adam's thing going back to however many thousands of years ago where he was originally from. He, he's not a big fan of slavery. <laughs> and so he actually ends up forming a relationship with this woman, Adriana. Adriana? I think I was just going to say, I think it's Adriana. Okay. And ends up actually giving her the powers of Isis, going to uh, you know Captain Marvel at the Rock of Eternity, and, and giving her this old power so that she could basically be his equal. And it was this great balance between the two characters because you had this really hard, really aggressive character being mellowed out by actually finding a companion and someone who was interested more in life than in death. And you had all this counterbalance between the characters. And even to the point where once they found Isis's brother, who was this crippled little kid being beat up by inner gang, this is where the, the Montoya side of the story came in. They actually found him. Adam gives him a portion of his power and he becomes Osiris. So now we have this black Marvel family as this counterpoint to the Marvel family that's been going around forever in DC and even before DC was a thing. And I, just, I, I liked the story of the redemption of Black Adam. I agree. This was the best story out of all of them, without a doubt the best story. What's funny is that, okay, here we have again a character that has the the power of Superboy, say, in Infinite Crisis. However, that story where you have all the heroes of the world trying to take him down and it is just a story of a whiny little teenager with Black Adam, and he's a moody bastard too. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but it works still. It's, it's more believable. It's so much more believable, and it's not this whiny kid kind of thing. It's just this man-possessed at times and so forthright in what he believes to be morally right and wrong and that there should be consequences for those actions. So the story there is phenomenal. And when you're talking about the growth of a character as well, the relationship between him and Isis and then soon after his his brother-in-law, I mean, it 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 does change him. You still know that there it, it, it he might be a pen tiger, but he there's still a tiger in there. Don't put your hand too far in that cage. <laughs> and and that's what he is at all times, but you you get the impression that it, like again it, it's a cliche had the woman lived had that remained then he would have been all right but all it took was that one little thing losing her and boom that's it it's it's lights off it's essentially what we've saw with with um superman having lost lois as well it's mm-hmm. the same kind of thing yeah, because one of the smaller stories and honestly one of the more forgettable ones that I could have done without was the Formation of the science squad, basically this group of mad scientists under the leadership of a big egg. I I don't know. I'm sorry. Is that I, an I really can't character? pay that much attention when a character is literally a giant egg. Was that someone was that an existing character or was that brought in? I have list? to assume so. My God, that was stupid. I didn't care enough to look it up. Wow. <laughs> but you know, that one of the main characters there had been a longtime foe of Captain Marvel, and basically they wanted to take down Black Adam for reasons. So they developed, you know, their four horsemen and this whole thing. That, as we come to find out, uh, 
they weren't the only ones trying to take down Adam. Amanda Waller wanted to take down Black Adam by basically ruining any credibility he had built up, uh, sent in the Suicide Squad on an actual suicide mission because the whole point was for somebody in the Adam family to snap and kill one of them. And as we saw, it was Osiris in a great invincible moment, I have to say. Yeah. A, a lot of the story elements here is when, when they started ratcheting up the violence reminded me a lot of Invincible. <laughs> Except Invisible was done a lot better. True, but hey, as far as a realistic interpretation of what somebody with these powers can actually do. Yeah. yeah. So at this point now, the four horsemen have affected Kondak, uh, you know, pestilence and all this stuff is happening. And Osiris is blaming himself because, you know, he killed a guy. He, he tainted their powers. And so he decides to give up his power at the same point where uh, his crocodile companion Sobek reveals himself to be the fourth horseman. And I have to admit, the first time I read that story, that was a pretty holy crap moment for me because I did not see that coming. Neither did I know. It was, a- but but as we said, it wasn't like that. Like the Ralph did me. Oh, what a twist! Where did that come from? This was a twist that actually fit the story, though. Yeah. So basically the four horsemen come down, Osiris is killed, Isis is killed, Black Adam loses his crap, <laughs> goes over to the uh, neighboring country of not China and just levels the place, kills millions of people, basically you know, forcing a reaction from every superhero on the planet to come take him down. And like you said, it was just like the battle against Superboy Prime, but in a way that made more sense because you do believe that Black Adam could face down just about anybody. Yeah. And it's Libya too. It's it's but it's Bilia or some damn thing. Uh, but it's, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but again, here's another thing where I mean, we have like we've seen Kent at this point. Clark's around. He's just choosing not to be a superhero. And then, Well, he he did lose his powers at the end of Infinite Crisis. What? When they flew when they flew through the red sun, he lost his powers temporarily. Temporarily, but he can still I have a feeling by week 50, he was kind of getting them around again. Yeah, I get the feeling he had them a lot earlier than that. Plus, you also see the freaking in, in like as early as week six, you see the the, the Green Lanterns. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, they're, they're all there kind of thing. But certain people just anyways. So, yeah, I mean, here you have someone leveling a country. Okay, not just like a few buildings. No, killing millions and millions of people. The the big boys should be, you know, Clark should be there. Wonder Woman should be there. Batman, I mean, what's he going to do? But I mean, it's Batman. <laughs> There's got to be something he can do there. He can fly the plane. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I. but no, it was, it was, again, that was by far the best story out of all of them. And again, in a twist of creative storytelling, one of the cooler moments in Injustice was when Wonder Woman roped Black Adam. And since he was on you know, the lasso of truth, he had to tell her what his you know, secret word was that made him transform. Well, we had kind of a twist on that here where uh, Captain Marvel had taken over for Shazam as the protector of – I don't know. It's a thing. <laughs> and you know, basically he couldn't take Adam's powers away, but he could change Adam's word. And I thought that was just a fun little twist of the character was still around. He still had access to all that power. He just couldn't figure out how to get it. Dude, the panels with him walking around, head covered kind of thing, and saying different random words. 
Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah. That was really, again, a nice ending to that story, which we didn't get in all of them, but that was a really nice ending. Yes. And then finally, we have the primary storyline running throughout all of 52, starring none other than our favorite character, Booster freaking Galt. <sighs> Dude, this was like from issue one, and this was the worst of the storylines. And what they did with it at the end, oh my god, it it was terrible. It's freaking <laughs> terrible. Yeah, I'm not going to go into the details. It was a whole lot of continuity and time travel stuff that basically served as an explanation for them finding the 51 other Earths and why they were all a little bit different from regular Earth because this big worm thing sucked the energy. Uh, sucked the memories. A giant freaking moth sucked the memories and time from these planets where they lured it to try to escape it and changed irreparably these worlds. A giant freaking moth. It was stupid. It was so beyond stupid. It was, oh my God. I, and this was supposed to be the big finale. Issue number 52 of 52. You're going to be reading about the, the uh, useless, two of them, <laughs> heroes, two <laughs> boosters that are useless. Somebody else that you really don't care about. The, I, I, the only redeeming thing about this storyline was Skeets being possessed. That was, I will say that was awesome. Evil Skeets, that was, that was a lot of fun to read. <laughs> but the rest of it was terrible, absolutely terrible. Terrible, and then again, the end was all about trying to shoehorn every little weird ass plot twist that they'd done along the way, and it was like, oh, space time continuity thing. We were allowed to do that because we went there and we did this, and now we're escaping this giant moth, and it's like, oh my god, it was terrible. All right, think back to however long ago it was, probably almost two years at this point, when we were discussing uh, Brightest Day, and we both overall enjoyed the miniseries but at the time you were a lot happier about the ending than i was and you know over time i've actually come back around to the whole swamp thing 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 god (laughs) but when swamp thing popped up at the end of brightest day i was having flashbacks to mr mind like i was incapable of enjoying that story because of this right oh this is this is beyond bad this is was absolutely terrible and filled to the freaking brim with the cliched crap panels like like Skeet's coming back saying, have I missed anything? Oh, it's going to take a little while to tell you. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> Seriously? And it's filled with those. It's just, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah, so overall bad. 52. It was bad is what I'm trying to, in case yes. I, did you pick up on that? Okay. Yeah, I got you. sure? You. Yes. So overall 52 did some good things, did some bad things. As I said, at the time, I, I enjoyed it more than I do now, just because, like I said, it gave me an introduction to characters I'd never really even known before. Like, yeah, I recognize them. Maybe might not even even known all their names, but you know, it, it gave me an appreciation for more of what the DC universe had to offer 
gave me some cool characters that you know I went back, read some of their old stuff, like the the Black Adam. I read, went back and read uh, a lot of the JSA stuff when he was with the team. Really enjoyed those stories. So it, it opened my eyes to the larger amount of what the DC universe had to offer at the time because none of that's there anymore. I. I would not recommend this to anyone, even taking into consideration the few redeeming story elements throughout kind of thing. I still would not put anybody through this. I just wouldn't. It just was not enjoyable at all. Hmm. See, I, I still enjoyed it a, a little more than you did. I, I, I still enjoyed the read the second time through. Yeah. And, and again, it, it, go back and listen to other episodes, people. I like comic books and I like, I'm all right with some, if as long as it's well done, crazy-ass type stories with time travel. Look at how much we loved Flashpoint up until the end. Like, loved it because it was so well written. This is not, in my opinion, at all. There were so few moments where it was. There there were, but overall, no. And, I mean, these were big names. And, like, you'd, you'd read about it and they make it sound like it was really successful and it did great and all that and it's like really was and it did but well because man reading it now i and i know i can be critical but i just did not enjoy it and then the whole point of splitting it up as much as they did as well in my opinion worked against the series as a whole as well even reading it back to back to back kind of thing where you're reading it all i can't even imagine splitting it apart but it, it really hurts the series because you have so little time to care about the characters because there's so few pages. And then you wind up also with bad writing where it's jumpy and it's like it, it, it has to jump over certain story elements just because of time and space constraints. Space constraints. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so I really, really didn't like this at all. So differing opinions because the first time I read it, I wasn't reading it weekly. I was uh, reading it uh, in the collected editions, the paperbacks. And every four months, I was actually eagerly anticipating I wanted to know what happened next. Right. And that we actually got, you know, like I said, the, the whole thing about this was that it made me more interested in DC as a whole. Like I said, the Flash stuff, Green Lantern stuff, I was into both of those while 52 was going on. But it made me interested in a lot of things coming up. And the majority of the storylines that they set up at the end of 52 just never really worked. Like uh, we got a very brief infinity ink series, uh, picking up on steel story that got, I, I think I read two issues of it. Like I got halfway through the first paperback and went, this was just not good. Put it away. Cause it was just, again, like you said, dealing with the whiny teenagers, you know, and the, what interested me in that story in the first place was the big guy with the hammer. And that wasn't there. I'm noticing a trend in my comic book tastes. Yeah, really, dude. <laughs> you like big men with big hammers. Wow. Uh, Don't Google Adam, that. <laughs> the Black Adam story had a mini series that, at the time, I remember not liking. I couldn't even tell you going back now and looking at it. It was just it. It never really went anywhere. It fell on its face, and then they got wrapped up in the next big thing DC was trying to do. Uh, beyond that. Uh, Montoya and Batwoman actually finally did get their chance several years later. I think it was in 2010 or somewhere around there, maybe 2009, where uh, they were actually the lead characters in Detective Comics uh, for about a year with Greg Rucka as the writer there. Uh, actually have never read those. I've always heard they were great, and I do want to go back and read those. 
Then the interesting thing is Booster Gold, because again, going back, remember we were talking about uh, Brightest Day, we also talked about the Justice League Generation Lost's miniseries that both of us ended up enjoying far more than we had ever hoped to, and it kind of gave us a different outlook on the character of Booster Gold. So after I read that, I'd heard good things about the Booster Gold series that they launched after 52, and uh, again, I haven't read it in a number of years, but I went back and I read a lot of it, and I actually did kind of enjoy it Hmm. because you had that story of booster gold was the guy who saved the universe and nobody knew about it so it it was a fun story with him and his family and you know time traveling it was a fun time travel story so there there was (laughs) the story that we enjoyed most had the worst follow-up and the story that we hated the most had the one of the best follow-ups i ain't reading it you can't make me read that. No, I can't. I've, I've learned my limits. All right, into what we're reading. Um, 52. That's what I've been reading. <laughs> so this is all you. Okay, then. First of all, uh, we will cover these in much more detail uh, in a, an upcoming episode. But I read the new number one issues that came out last week for Samurai Jack, Pretty Deadly, and Velvet. And they were all very different but I still enjoyed all three of them greatly for very different reasons. Pretty Deadly was freaking awesome, though. And, of course, Samurai Jack. Come on. Mm-hmm. And on your recommendation, I, I finally read the first two issues of Sex Criminals. I haven't read the second one yet. Let's just say uh, the main male character, I forget his name at this point, he's approximately my age. So when they would go and tell his backstory in issue two, <laughs> I recognized a lot of elements of that story. Let's just say. <laughs> Oh, you're freaking me out now. Based on what I read in one, that's kind of creeping me out, okay? (laughs) This might be the end of our podcasting careers together. Maybe not the crazy supernatural powers part of it. But I I find it really amazing that I I really enjoyed these two comics, actually. And on one hand, they're – especially the second issue because let's be honest, guys – go through that particular growth a little differently than most girls do, I would assume. It was a very immature comic, the way that his story played out and, you know, a lot of the puns and, you know, a lot of the, it's kind of that chew element of you want to read all the background elements because there's some funny jokes in there. But at the same time, I also found it to be a very mature discussion of kind of how those growths work out for various people. And like I said, it was somewhat biographical. (laughs) So I had a connection to it and I actually did really enjoy it. Okay. Uh, Like I said, I haven't, I haven't read it yet though. And something is wrong with Fraction. How does he think of these things? (laughs) All right. Anyway, this week's new releases from Marvel. We have a small yet very powerful list. We have Avengers number 22 with its infinity tie in guardians of the galaxy number eight, which I believe is finally tying into infinity in this issue as well as infinity. Number five, we have Scarlet spider number 23 superior Spider-Man number 20 ultimate X-Men number 33 uncanny X-Force number 13. And finally the last issue of the crossover, we have X-Men battle of the atom number two. You better believe we're talking about that next week. With DC, since this is the the, uh, odd month with five Wednesdays, we get a bunch of filler. There's a whole bunch of annuals out this week, including uh, Green Lantern and Swamp Thing. We have the launch of the new uh, Sandman miniseries with Sandman Overture number one, a uh, prequel to the, you know, much lauded comic from Neil Gaiman. And J.H. Williams uh, is doing the art on that. And I 
actually be very interested in seeing what he's doing with the, the Sandman universe art-wise. And then we have another miniseries, Damien, Son of Batman, number one, which I'm told is an alternate timeline, but this is DC we're talking about, so you can never be entirely sure. Is he wearing a red hood? There's your Not yet. right there. <laughs> <laughs> and from our smaller publishers, IDW has a huge week this week. We have G.I. Joe number nine, Godzilla Rulers of Earth number five, Powerpuff Girls number two, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 27, as well as the Villain Micro Series number seven, featuring Bebop and Rocksteady. You better believe I'm interested in reading that one, as well as Transformers Robots in Disguise number 22. And then from Image, we have Bushido number five, The Return of Five Ghosts actually got picked up for another storyline with issue number starting in issue number six. And we also have Saga number 15. I love that we're the podcast that lists Powerpuff Girls in the, the weeklies or in the monthlies. They can't stop us. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> we could talk about weird sex comics and Powerpuff Girls, Girls at the same time. Of course. Just, well, hopefully not at the same time. <laughs> in the same. You, you've episode. had that fantasy. I know it. <laughs> You know, no. That pause was We're too long. Going there. <laughs> I'm going to stretch out the pause just to make it even more uncomfortable for you. <laughs> you know what? Next time you're yelling at your dog, Bubbles, I'm not going to be able to listen to it the same way. <laughs> Bubbles, stop licking that. Stop licking me. God. we have derailed folks so thank you for listening <laughs> as always you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on twitter at cb informer so until next week thanks for listening <laughs> oh my god what have we done <laughs> i'm on meds what's your your excuse <laughs> all right I need to wash need that to thought yes. out of my mind. So, <laughs> well, like you didn't put shit in my brain that I won't be able to JavX out. <laughs> Not enough bleach in the world. Now I'm every time I'm going to be reading Sex Criminals too, going, oh dear lord, <laughs> really, Vince? Did I need to know? No. And I must remind you, you have to listen to this again to edit it. <laughs> Goodbye. Later. See what I have to put up with, folks?